I encourage you to take your Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, as we live with an eternal perspective. Thank you so much. Living with an eternal perspective. And um, that's been the theme for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had Aaron preach two weeks ago um, on discernment, and that was great. And we continue this study now. But I want to unpack for just a few moments after we read this scripture what it means and what we're talking about when I say living with an eternal perspective. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So when we think about this idea of living with perspective, I'm talking about how do we live in light of eternity now, today, tomorrow, and the tomorrows that come after? How does this impact us? I think that's very, very important for us to understand. We think about our health. We want to do everything we can to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit because we have the indwelling of him living within us. And how did we best use our bodies to carry out his kingdom work? Finances from an eternal perspective. What does that look like? Our tithes, our offerings, giving to charities, taking care of our needs. Retirement questions. Do I use all the money for uh, myself and my spouse? Or do I save some for my kids after I'm gone as well? Entertainment choices. Do I buy a house big enough to invite people over to enjoy hospitality? Do I buy a boat, an RV? Do I buy a Corvette and join the Corvette Club and enjoy that, but also use that as a ministry opportunity to connect with people? How can you start spiritual conversations with your hobbies, your personal growth, your emotional, your spiritual, your mental health as well? Are you making decisions as a young uh, couple or a young person or middle-aged person thinking of long-term ramifications rather than the immediate uh, short-term advantages. We're to view this world with loose hands, holding on to things very loosely and allowing God to direct the things in our hands. And we have to remind ourselves constantly, as the Bible says, that we're pilgrims. Pilgrims mean that we're from another country, uh, that we're sojourners, that we're just merely passing through. Uh, Titus says we're a special or a peculiar people on this planet because of who we belong to in Jesus Christ. So as we think about that in light of eternity and all the things that we have to look forward to with joy, 
May it impact our lives on a daily basis. Let's bow for prayer and we pray for this message, but also for the many health needs of people in our church. Father, we come before you today and we lift up so many people who are sick or are ailing from, from pain and other things that are going on in their lives. Lord, we pray that you'll minister to them today. May this message, if they're listening online or see it later, really uh, work in their hearts and lives to know that these things are temporal. And for us here in this room, Lord, help us to know that whatever aches or pains or difficulties that we're going through, that we can uh, relish the fact that we're going to be in eternity forever. And those things will be merely uh, something, a blip on our lives, Lord, on the screen of things. So, Lord, give us perspective today. Help us to rejoice and be blessed by your teaching today from your word. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about this idea that heaven is a real place and we're just passing through, Billy Graham said this, there comes a moment when we all must realize that life is short and in the end, the only thing that really counts is not how others see us, but how God sees us. Let's look first today and take out your outline. I encourage you to fill in these blanks and I'm going to really let the Bible speak to a lot of things. So you might want to write some of these references down. I put a lot of references in there for you. But as I was studying this, there's just tons of verses about the millennial reign of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. And so encouraging to dig into God's word and see what we have to look forward to. Well, let's look first today at what life will be like during Christ's 1,000-year reign on earth after his second coming. Now, up on the screen, you should see the chart. There's our chart that I gave out a few weeks ago. And if you can see it in the back, great. If you can't, I'm, I'm sorry, but um, it's pretty small. But I just want to give you the timeline, the rapture, whether you believe it's before the tribulation or in the middle or toward the end. You know, there's going to be a point where the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. And in heaven, we'll be gathered around uh, probably some kind of a large table and we'll celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. But on earth, as you see on that chart, the tribulation, you see that seven-year period, the second half will be the worst, the great tribulation. And then the second coming of Christ. He will come down and, and the battle of Armageddon as the people of the nation surround Israel to, to destroy them. Jesus will come down and with a sword coming out of his mouth will destroy all those people there who are attacking Israel. And then there'll be the judgment of the nations. And then you get to the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. I was listening to Michael Radonik yesterday as I was driving and he does quite, answers questions for the Bible from 9 to 11 on WDLM. And someone called in and said, what's the purpose of the millennium? Why don't we go straight to the new heaven and the new earth? And he pointed out two things. One, in the millennium, God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Number two, we'll see what life is like on earth without Satan, but man left to his sinful nature. You won't be able to blame the devil for the things you do during the millennium because he will bound up, be bound up. He'll be uh, put away for a period of time. And we'll see what sinful man does with even out without the influence of Satan in our lives. So what will life be like for Christ followers in the millennium? What will it be like here on earth during that thousand year reign of Christ we call the millennium? 
First of all, the city of Jerusalem will be the capital from which King Jesus will rule and reign. And he will be the king, as we know in Isaiah 9, 6. He will reign and rule forevermore at this point here on planet Earth. Jesus will step foot on Earth at his second coming on the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting that if you read Acts 1, he steps off planet Earth um, at the Mount of Olives. And in Zechariah 14, 4, guess what? The very same place that he left planet Earth, he's coming back. It says in Zechariah 14, on that day, Jesus' feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Jerusalem will be the center, the capital of the world. Jesus will set up a theocracy. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem using the very word of God to make his decisions. Isaiah chapter 2, if you want to write this down, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. And look at that. It says, neither shall they learn war anymore. Hard to imagine, right? In our world. But they will not learn war anymore. We see also in your outline, the glorified saints will have the opportunity. We'll have the opportunity to rule with King Jesus. One of the books I read, Robert Jeffers says, you know, some people may not feel like they want to rule. He believes that God will give them the opportunity. Not everyone has to. Not everyone may have the personality for it. But we see, first of all, that those who are martyred during the tribulation time, who rejected the Antichrist, you know, the mark of the beast and bowing down to the image of him. It says in Revelation 20, verse 6, they will lose their lives. It says in Revelation 20, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death, hell has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Those who are martyred for the faith during the tribulation will rule and reign with Christ here on the planet Earth. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus will use the word of God to teach righteousness and use the word to judge people. Remember, during this time, there will be people born into this world with a sinful nature. The majority of people will follow Christ, but there'll still be groups of people who will uh, quietly rebel, and there'll be the need to judge people. There'll be need to, to bring some punishment. And the apostles and the believers will reign with Christ. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... 
you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you know that you and I, according to this, that we will even judge angels? It says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? In 2 Timothy 2, it says, this saying is true. If you have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign, reign with him. If you deny him, he also will deny us. The next thing on your outline, you see the people of earth will worship King Jesus. We will worship. We will have all kinds of opportunities to see him in person and to bow at his feet and say, worthy is the lamb. In Zechariah 14, it says, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. Now notice that these are the people that weren't there in the battle of Armageddon. These are the people that survived that time and they're gonna go up continually to worship the Lord. And it looks like we're gonna, we're gonna follow the feasts and the festivals of the Old Testament like the Messianic Jews do even now. Another thing is the ways of this earth will be different under the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's gonna be amazing. There aren't gonna be deserts. If you take your Bible, turn over to Isaiah 35, Isaiah chapter 35. These verses won't be up on the screen. But the deserts will break out with water flowing and beautiful flowers. In Isaiah 35, it says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the hunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, or Jerusalem, with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Isn't that going to be a beautiful day, an amazing day? Uh, there won't be deserts. The earth will be inhabited with beauty everywhere you go. There won't be desolation. There'll be gladness and joy. People's speech will change to pure and positive things. In Zechariah, Zephaniah 3, it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. The majority of people are going to be in harmony with one another in unity working together. The animal kingdom will live in harmony with one another. The wolf and the lamb, according to 
Isaiah 65 shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. Famine will be no more. And Isaiah 30, and he will give grain, rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures. It will be the best of food, not just food alone. And verse 24, and the oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned or really good fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there'll be brooks running with water. I hope your imagination can kind of take over and think about all these beautiful and wondrous things that are going to occur. Life will last longer. In Isaiah 65, it says, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. No death for young little children. Or an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. And of course, as I alluded to, Satan will be bound for most of the millennium, so he'll be unable to influence and tempt people like he does now. But at the end of the millennium, he's going to be loosed. He will gather a group of people who uh, aren't so interested in following King Jesus. And he will find them, and it'll be a pretty significant number. And he will once again attempt for the last time to overthrow King Jesus, but he will fail miserably. In Revelation 20, it says in verse 7, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. That's everywhere. Gog and Magog, which right now would be where Russia is today, to gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that is the end of Satan's rule and reign or attempt to rule and reign on this planet. The application for us as we think of the millennium, what joy it will bring for us to see the coronation of King Jesus and to serve with him. What a beautiful place where the word of God will uh, go forth and uh, people will live in harmony Animals will get along, and on and on it goes, as we read. If you want to know more, there's just so much uh, rich scripture to give you a picture of what that millennial reign will be like. Well, then we go back to our chart up here, and you see to, your, to the far right of the screen, once again, keeping in mind where we are in God's history timetable, after the millennium, after Satan is you know, bound to hell with the false prophet and all those uh, with them, um, we see that the great white throne judgment occurs. And this is where God's going to separate for the last time those that are saved and unsaved, the sheep from the goats. And they will be placed in their final state for all of eternity, according to God's word. So the next major point on your outline, what will life be like for Christ followers in the eternal state? What's it going to be like when we have the new heaven and the new earth? What's it going to be like to have heaven here on earth? 
Well, the first thing that will happen after the great white throne judgment is described in 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord, and whenever you see the day of the Lord, it means his time of judgment will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Think about that. As we consider the temporal things of this world, we should live in holiness and godliness. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and it will dwell forever. First of all, we will enjoy glorified bodies. We will enjoy glorified bodies. Now, you know, we know that when we read in the latter part of the gospels, Jesus' resurrected body, he still had, you know, the scars from his nails and his hands, his, the sword piercing his side and his feet. We know that because he offered Thomas to reach and touch him, right? So the question is that we as believers, are we going to have those same scars as well? The answer is we don't know. We don't know. But we do know that in heaven, those signs are signs of perfection to remind us of the ransom that was paid for us to have eternal life. But I do know that we will have complete resurrected bodies that will never change and never perish. We won't face aging. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I invite you to turn there, a great, great passage of scripture. This just uh, always encourages me, especially as we think of loved ones and friends who pass away from this life who are believers. We grieve, but we grieve with hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, these verses are not on the screen. So listen carefully if you don't have your Bible open. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now let me pause there. Some churches have put 1 Corinthians 15, 51 in their nursery because it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. As they think of the kids in the nursery, right? In verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says to encourage us, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Some of you might want to be reading that verse if you're working in VBS on Thursday, uh, just to remind yourself that this is really worth it, and it is. But I hope as you read this, it just should cause within you to say amen, hallelujah, that we have overcome death, that our loved ones that have 
excuse me, have passed away in recent times, that they are in heaven. And they have that imperishable body right now. So this is the difference between going to a casket of a loved one or a friend and grieving, not knowing where they are in eternity, or grieving with hope for someone who has passed on who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. So as we age and our bodies aren't as flexible as they once were and the wrinkles continue to come, the aches and pains grow, we can rejoice in the hope of a body that will be just like Jesus, eternal, perfect, ageless, and that will never, ever die. There won't be any disabilities or any disease. Carol won't need a wheelchair. My wife won't need a cane. We'll be in a place where all those things will be gone in distant memories. It's all because of Jesus and his resurrection power that makes this possible for all believers for all times. And then we will enjoy grand accommodations. Grand accommodations. Revelation 21 is one of my favorite scriptures to read at a funeral. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. So this is the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation 22, God desires to be with his people. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, because it's by grace we're saved. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or my daughter. You know, it's wonderful to get new things. Back in the day, some of us probably still get newspapers, but isn't it interesting after you read the news, it automatically becomes, you know, something to put in the bottom of the cage for the bird or placed in recycle because the next day there's new news and that's old. We think about just even going on the internet and you read something today and tomorrow it changes completely. Some of us can remember buying a new car and just getting in it and enjoying the smell of the new car. Then you put your kids in there and a few days later you didn't even know it smelled new, Right? because of all the stuff that gets spilled in it very quickly. Well, I got news for you. New is going to be new forever. We're going to always have that new car smell. We're going to have everything will stay new. Nothing will be stained at all. Randy Alcorn makes the case in his book on heaven that God may be restoring planet Earth and its inhabitants back to the way things were after creation, but before sin entered the world. This world could be much like the Garden of Eden was. Notice that God wants, us to, wants to come down and dwell with his special creation, man. He says there's not going to be any more crying or weeping. He will wipe away every tear. There won't be any more physical or emotional pain. What an amazing, amazing thought. If you have your Bible open to Revelation 21, reading further, then 
came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, John, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So the bride is the church. And we see coming out of heaven this new Jerusalem. And it says in verse 11 of Revelation 21, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Verse 16, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measures its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So to cut to the chase, the New Jerusalem is going to be about 1,500 square miles. Plenty of room to house all the saints of all time. There's going to be 12 gates, four on each side. And many believe it's going to be shaped like a cube. Some theologians think it'll look like a pyramid. But regardless, jewels will be used for the foundation. The walls are made of jasper. It will be so pure and transparent, you'll be able to see through it like glass. In Revelation 21, verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Can you imagine? The foundations are things that we think are so precious today. Where we would put cement, they will put these beautiful jewels. And of course, the names will be put on that foundation. I think it's interesting that Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, would often remind her kids this one thing, it's recorded in Anne Graham Lott's book, Heaven, My Father's Home. She would often say to the kids, just remember, the gold is the asphalt of heaven. That what we think is so valuable here will only be something that we walk on. That it will be the asphalt of heaven. The gates will each be made of single pearl. Think about how special that will be. In Revelation 21, finishing up here, verse Verses 21 through 22, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life.
So to get into heaven, you've got to know Christ as your Savior. You've got to have the assurance that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And remember that God will be the light. From what I read in the tribulation, the sun and the moon will be destroyed. And so the gates of his dwelling will never shut. There'll be no crime. People can come and go as they want. There won't be any sin. Nations and people will bring honor and glory to God the Father, who's beyond worthy of all our praise. Only believers will be found in heaven. And then we will enjoy glorious worship. Glorious worship. Revelation 5, these verses are on the screen. John, having this vision, said, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Can you imagine this? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Folks, our worship today is not a dress rehearsal for what we're going to do in heaven. The real issue is that those people that are worshiping around the throne, while we're worshiping, we're worshiping with them. We're only separated because of the distance between us. Remember that. We join in with those who are worshiping around his throne today, right now. If you look in the book of Ezekiel uh, section there, it alludes to the possibility that there is a temple in heaven that was much like the temple that was built here on earth, that was modeled after the one in heaven. So that's a possibility. And then we will enjoy a great opportunity to rule and reign with Christ. We've alluded to this. In Matthew 25, you remember the parable of the talents and how uh, the landowner gave talents to three different men, different amounts. And of course, he encouraged them to multiply those talents. And two of them did. And he said, welcome into uh, heaven and to your reward. And you will be given responsibility over many things. Of course, one hid it under the ground. And he took that one away and gave it to the one who had 10. The point of that story is that we are going to rule and reign based on some of the things that we do here on earth, our, our actions here. The saints will judge the world. As we said before, they will even judge angels. In 1 Corinthians 6.2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Christ will give his authority. This is interesting. A few years ago, I realized this, that Christ will give his authority to judge, rule, and reign on earth back to the Father after the new heaven and new earth are created. He will relinquish his delegated, his authority. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, the one who first rose from the dead, that is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, Christ must, until he has put all the enemies under his feet. And then he hands the authority back to his Father. And lastly, we, have, we will have gargantuan fun. Gargantuan's the word there. Myths about God in heaven. There's so many myths out there. God's a cosmic killjoy. 
There won't be any fun in heaven. We're just going to be sitting on clouds and white robes with harps. And that's going to be our existence for all eternity, far from the truth. Isaac Asimov, who was an atheist, said this, I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Mark Twain jokingly said, the advantage of heaven is the climate and the advantage of hell is the company. Look at the world around us. See all that God created. He's a fascinating God. Heaven's going to be a place of eternal good, of endless joy, of beauty. It's going to be an exciting place where we will ever learn more about God and his universe. I believe that we'll be able to go on galactic tours to go over to Saturn and find out why there's that ring of gases around it. And some of the things that we see in the Hubble telescope, we'll be able to go and have a front row seat to those places. It's going to be an amazing place, and we'll be blown away with God's creative forces in the universe. I think now all we know is probably a teaspoon of the creativity and the artistic beauty that God has out there in the universe. Another myth, heaven will just going to be one long, boring worship service. Worshiping God will be a central activity of heaven, but it will not be all that we do there. We can worship him as we travel the galaxies, as we enjoy something that we are doing. It tells us in Revelation 22, we'll even eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of life, I mean, and there we will have the healing of the nations. And so we will do all kinds of things, but our worship may come at specified times, I'm sure, but also while we're doing other things that we thoroughly enjoy. It talks about worship as a place that we're going to enter into rest. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hebrews talks about that final rest in chapter 4 and other places woven through the book of Hebrews. But most importantly, and the greatest joy of all, is that we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to be with him. We're going to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit always. And just think about what will be great to sit down and talk with our loved ones who've gone on before us to sit down and have a conversation with Paul about some of the things that he did. Why in the world, after you were stoned, you went back into that city? That would be one of my questions to ask Paul. We could ask a lot of questions of these people that we read about in the Bible. Our application is this. We can only imagine what it will be like to live on a restored planet as God created it to be. We can only imagine what it's going to be like to live on a restored planet the planet Earth as God created it to be. When you think of all this and more, I hope it brings our trials and tribulations into perspective. We can endure no matter what comes our way in this life, knowing our future reward and home for eternity is heaven. So here's our key thought. How will you and I live here on Earth this week as God's stewards knowing that we are just passing through, that we have all that for us, that Jesus said he's got a place prepared for you with your name on it, and that your rewards are going on, you're depositing into heaven's bank even now as you serve him here on earth. How will you and I live here on earth as God's stewards, knowing that we're just passing through? Well, as we conclude today, Malcolm Muggeridge, one of my favorite writers, he was an atheist for many years until he interviewed this little lady called Mother Teresa. And after he interviewed her, he couldn't get away from the fact that 
of her joy in the midst of all that suffering, he became a believer in Christ. He said this near the end of his life. This quote's up on the screen. For myself, as I approach my end, I found Jesus' outrageous claim ever more captivating and meaningful. Talking about the resurrection of the body and a glorified body. Quite often, waking up in the night as the old do, I feel myself to be half out of my body, hovering between life and death, with eternity rising in the distance. I see my ancient carcass prone between the sheets, stained and worn like a scrap of paper dropped in the gutter and hovering over it myself like a butterfly released from its chrysalis stage and ready to fly away. Are caterpillars told of their impending resurrection? How in dying they will be transformed from poor earth crawlers into creatures of the air with exquisitely painted wings? If told, do they believe it? I imagine the wise old caterpillars shaking their heads. No, it can't be. It's fantasy. Yet in the limbo between living and dying as the night clocks tick remorselessly on, I hear those words, I am the resurrection and the life, and feel myself to be carried along on a great tide of joy and peace. It's interesting to me that the next to last verse in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, 20 says, Maranatha in the Greek, come Lord Jesus. Or in the King James, even so, come Lord Jesus. I hope and trust that that is the cry of your heart today. Think about these questions as we get ready to pray. How much weight do you put on your earthly possessions? Do you view your life as if you're managing God's property? What are you going to do this week to deposit into the bank of heaven on your behalf? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We read many, many verses today just to let your word reverberate in our minds and our thoughts because it illumines us, it challenges us, it encourages us, it gives us great hope and joy for the future. Lord, we thank you for that eternal state that we have to look forward to. Yes, we have a lot of things to go through until we get to that place. And so does this planet have a lot to go through before it gets there as well. But Lord, we just thank you for that ultimate joy that will be at your right hand where there's pleasures forevermore, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. Lord, help us today to rejoice. Help us to uh, look at things from a 30,000 foot view as we look at our lives and we think of the circumstances and the difficulties and the trials and tribulations, that we look at things from your perspective today. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen.